Welcome to the Urban Mystic Podcast. In today's episode, Tim and I take a stab at the topic of the Bible. Now, this is a conversation that has uh, in some ways been a long time in the making because it is one of the crucial questions, I think, that just has to be answered at some point when we're talking about this relational spirituality and relational theology. It's an inescapable question, let's put it that way. Lots of people want to ask it, and we realize the need to address it as well. But it's also an exceptionally complex, uh, intricate, and deep, long conversation that to do it justice just requires requires a lot of time and a lot of input, because there are so many levels and threads and nuances and facets to this that we can't do it justice in one episode. So being fully aware of that, here is the beginning of a conversation on what to do with the Bible, or what is the Bible, or what do we think of the Bible in terms of where we're both currently at, um, some of our process, and how would we think about the Bible, the scriptures, um, ancient texts like this, religious texts, when it comes to relational theology and relational spirituality. So this is really an opener. We hope that you enjoy it. Um, We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions and feedback. And I'm certain it's one that we'll pick up again in, uh, in coming seasons, perhaps, and in perhaps more detail. So thank you again for joining us. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's jump straight across. Well, Steve, we're uh, we've, we're back at this again. Thanks, thanks again for mm. for, for connecting. Um, you, you know, it's at oh man, I'm stumbling over my words here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I I often get asked uh, some of these difficult questions, <laughs> where I feel people have preloaded expectations about firstly what my answer is going to be, and secondly about what I should be saying. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's awfully cryptic mm-hmm. to start, but I mean it's it's easy just to throw it out because because at some point we were going to get around to having to do an episode on the Bible at some point. And a question that I often get asked by people is, "What do I make of the Bible? Like, where does that fit into my life? Uh, how do I feel about it? Etc. Um, Etc. Et um, it's a it, it, it's a remarkably straightforward question with a weight mm. world's weight of expectations behind it i feel mm. Mm. and and depending on the church context people come out of they're often expecting one answer or another <clears throat> but generally they're preloaded it with uh, with me being some kind of you know like using the label urban mystic and you know, referring to things like mm. constructing church, uh, referring to things like relational spirituality, et cetera, et cetera. All mm. these things don't fit into the experience of doing church in the context that they're in. So I feel like I'm offered loaded with the assumption or the expectation that I have zero value for the Bible and, um, and, and I ought to be <laughs> instead saying it, it, it's all important and it's the only thing that matters. And, and I feel yeah. like I'm caught between those, those two worlds in terms of the expectations that are loaded at me and the assumptions that are loaded at me when people ask, ask that as a question. Um, and so uh, it's, not, it's, it's not something that I answer very easily or, or respond mm. to very easily um, because I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm often not being evasive in terms of what I actually feel. I think it's just more important that what, what 
people feel, <laughs> what people are asking for when asking that question is more about their process in relation to the Bible and their process mm. in relation to where it fits within the, their, their understanding of their faith, their practice of their faith, their, mm. um, their practice of their religious life, their practice of spirituality, etc., etc. Um, yeah, is, is, is this a question you, you face as well? And, and, and what do you make of, 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 of the question <laughs> when faced with it? Yeah, very much so. I've had, the, I've had that question. I was also going to pick up on the context, the background that you raised. So I've had that question from a from a few different places, and it comes up. I would say it comes up for me far more from the more conservative evangelical um, space than in the traditional churches I've been in, because mm -hmm. in the traditional churches have, uh, in my experience at least, a high regard for scripture, mm -hmm. but um, it's a, <laughs> it's often a very like uh, read it on a Sunday or don't talk <laughs> about it. You know, it's not, it's not the central element of, of church life as mm. opposed to Protestant churches um, where it's, it's, it's about the only question that you need to answer. And well, I, I, I always I used say to... Protestant, Protestant independent churches as opposed to Protestant mainline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes yeah. even in Protestant mainline, I've, I've been amazed at kind of mm. at, at the focus there. But also, again, it depends a little on the flavor of the actual, you know, the actual local geographical sort of church that that isn't questioned there but uh, you know i i used to uh, i used to find it very amusing for example when uh, i joined a couple of organizations i affiliated to a few just in different sort of uh, periods of my life and the protestant ones always have a statement of faith that you have to agree to and i, yeah. I always used to laugh that the first point numerically on the statement of faith would be do you believe in the bible and mm. they'd have a whole bunch of statements accompanying that and point two would always be, do you believe in God? <laughs> and it's obviously, it's not, it's, not, it's not posed as a question. It's posed as a statement. But I always found that absolutely fascinating and is really helpful, in fact, as I think about that now in mm. terms of my coming to grips with sort of what do I make of the Bible? I, I just kept noticing that pattern. Statement mm. number one is we believe in the Holy Scriptures, fully revealed, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Point two, we believe in God, the Father Almighty. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you, guys, you guys are so accurate <laughs> with how you describe yourselves. You really are like it couldn't get closer to the truth. Um, and so in those sorts of circles, it's the question always. What do you have to say about the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do you take the Bible seriously? And that's more often where I've had that question. And like you, um, if, I'm, if I'm hearing you well enough, I'm... I'm also careful to answer, and, and there's a few points to that. I used to be careful to answer because it was a very weaponized question and in a very sort of, sort of insecure space. And, you know, I don't think every space has to be a safe space, but those church spaces specifically, <laughs> the Bible was used <laughs> as a clobbering, battering ram, you know? Yeah. And, and so when that question came up, that my spidey senses would start to tingle and I'd just go, okay, all right. <laughs> I've said something or you've seen something or you've read something maybe that I've posted and now you need to come and track me down and it's mm -hmm. witch hunt time and you need to sit in front of the militia and answer the question. Are you <laughs> going to be hanged or not or burnt at the stake or not for what you've had to say about the Bible? So I, what do I, you really <laughs> believe? You know, <laughs> it's I, unfamiliar. I, I, that sounds so familiar. I find I often um, in myself, 
I can feel the internal shift as I adjust to to not just a freeze reaction, but yeah. like in myself, in my in in my in my soul, in my heart, squaring mm. off against the person, being prepared to be tackled. Like I, I realize I know, right? at that point, yeah, exactly. At that point, it's like PTSD kicks in. No matter what I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to be misheard. And for every point that I raise that is valid, it, that's going to be ignored and someone's going to come at me with another angle because they want to be disagreeing with me because they're fighting for a position on the Bible that they don't even theologically understand. That's just, it's, yeah. just a, it's just such a deeply entrenched, unconscious paradigm for them. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and heaven help you if you point that out, but we will get to that at some point. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like those, it's those relational scripts because, you know, the... Um, the question, as you say, is rather innocent. Oh, but, but Steve, tell me, what do you think of the Bible? Mm. But it's it's one of those relational scripts, you know, in a very bad relational paradigm where somebody asks an innocent question, but it's got barbs to it. Mm. And well, the barbs are dripping with venom. <laughs> oh, but, uh, but what did you think that I actually wanted for my birthday? Or what did you think I was going to do while you were out all night and I was home with the kids? Or It's, it's well, never an innocent question of... of of curiosity the, and let the, me understand your views. It's mm, let me it's set a you up. <laughs> yeah, to sucker punch you. And so, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm wary for that. But then I'm also wary because within that, mm. even when people are, I found trying to be, oh, maybe I'm gonna slice it into three. So then there's sort of a middle ground where there's curiosity, but there's still a very deeply entrenched. But this is what the Bible is. Mm. And and mm. I've had some people sort of and and as far as I can ascertain, ask genuine questions. But but mm. what do you think of the Bible? Mm. And I, and I'm and I think well, I don't have like we don't have a hundred hours right now in this conversation for me to take <laughs> you through the intricacies from from the history from how I used to read it to now mm. and take you through. And help you understand how seriously I take this book, for example, because mm. that's a part of it. I do take it very seriously. Understand that I'm trying to take it more and more seriously over time. Oh, Steve, 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 hang on a second. You <laughs> used the word seriously there. But as a person coming at you, I go, do you take it literally? Because if you don't take it yeah, literally, you exactly don't right. take it seriously. Because then you don't <laughs> you, take it seriously. Exactly. There's and so if you don't read it my way, you don't take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's, I, I'm derailing you there, but it's no, a valid, no, no, it's cool, it's a valid point. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's very hard to help. I think this is, this is why people who go through deconstruction or people who question their faith um, and people who are, are moving sort of in an evolutionary process through their faith journey and they're moving forward as opposed to staying stuck in a script or a paradigm. This is why they click over the Bible, because at a very general level, there's a trajectory around that we used to read it like that, but now we're starting to read it more and more like this. And when you come up against the entrenched position, there's none of that momentum. And so to help explain that when it hasn't been experienced or to try and explain that is very, very difficult because mm -hmm. the entrenched mindset is just digging deeper into what is. Oh, but. Yeah, but but then I went to learn the Greek and the Hebrew so that I could read it more literally. <laughs> mm, mm, okay, well, <laughs> that's not all that helpful. Oh, and then I, but I read the history books on the Bible because that helps me. You know, Joyce Meyer's history books. Sorry to take a cheap mm. shot at Auntie Joyce Meyer, but you know, and you, you kind of go, yeah, but that's not really like leading edge biblical scholarship if you want to look at things like um, 
the history of where the texts come from and who wrote them and how they came to be and how they were edited, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like your pastor doesn't have the uh, <laughs> doesn't have the have the corner on that market and, and nobody else can speak into that. So you need to be able to read a bit more broadly, et cetera, et cetera. Now, now I'm I'm starting to waft a little. But anyway, it's very difficult to give a concise, quick answer. Yes, I do take the Bible seriously. Because the mm. paradigm here is that is, oh, okay, so you must read it the way I do. But mm. there's still this cognitive dissonance of, yeah, but you said that thing, or I saw this thing where you posted, but so you, you don't read it my way, so I, I don't get curious and will actually take the time to listen. But it's a long conversation. It's not something that you can do quickly. And I, you know, I even... I get nervous trying to just record one episode on it because I think, mm. oh, I'm going to leave so many facets out that are important to understand this journey. Mm. But um, but it is an important question. I don't think it can be left out of what we're trying to to work mm. our way through and crunch our way through. And so we have to start somewhere and we have to take a stab at it somewhere. Mm. Um, and well, that's what I'm excited to do. And to mm. look at potentially a trajectory together over this episode that starts with perhaps some of how we used to do it mm. and and moves towards how we might be doing it now as it's connected to a relational spirituality. And along mm. the way we can stop and perhaps just shed some of the mm. of the, you know, how it could be read or how it's understood to be read or the other processes that tie more into, mm. say, the academic reading. The devotional, mm. you know, the Christian devotional stuff, the wisdom tradition mm. stuff, mm. all all other stopping points that we've done at other episodes on other topics so far. Mm. But just to to aim more at what does it look like to read it from a relational spirituality perspective, which which I'd say up front, by the way, like I, don't, I haven't got this completely figured out yet. This is I'm still something very much that I'm journeying with, and so mm. yeah, I'll be speaking from that perspective. It's uh, mm. it's, it's mm. for me, it's a kind of a lifelong journey thing with this book so mm. yeah it's hard to give a give an easy answer to that whether it's an <laughs> accusation or a genuine question or something in between yeah um, but perhaps we'll try well well <laughs> me asking you the question is definitely a an, an accusation and i'm setting you have to be cast as a heretic and burnt as the stake <laughs> so Fantastic. i look forward to that your fire Ex is the best fire <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> i i mm. i i uh, on thinking back the first deconstructive statement that i heard deconstruction statement i guess in relation to scripture was by by an 80 year old guy mm. <laughs> and i was about 13 at the time and he spoke sure. about these born again people that have got like five books of the bible in every house including the kitchen and <laughs> and why is it even in the kitchen it's only got two recipes lamb and fish and chips <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I've known I've known a lot of people that that really just uh, prioritize it. I, I think the first thing, uh, well, the thing that's top of my list that that has always irked me <laughs> mm. is the degree to which it is it's used as a proof text battering ram. Uh, mm. And and it's 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 doubly used so when when someone can scripture and verse quotes, 
you know, mm. as though the scripture and verse is, is an equally, it's not just an equal part of the scripture being able to give the, you know, the, the reference, you know, the following quote is from Imaginations 5 verse 1. You know, it's that, mm, last, mm. It's that last bit that really sinks at home and basically yes. goes, Steve, Tim, you can't say anything about this because the word of God says... You know, and and so, <laughs> so it's I all feel, part of the incantation spell, though, isn't it? Like it doesn't it work properly if you can't like assign a book name and uh, <laughs> chapter and verse to it, <laughs> and it's it's less powerful. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and I think especially if you can if you can use chalk while doing it, you know, and candles, I'm sure it <laughs> becomes even more powerful. <laughs> or if you're allowed up on stage and there's a thousand people in front of you, right? Then it carries special mm. weight and power. <laughs> but. <laughs> But that's, um, I think, I think that that detour aside, um, I think it's a it's a very real thing. I I, I often find, uh, you know, just I guess even before we go further, I often find that I can I can I can I can paraphrase something from scripture, own mm. it for myself, uh, experience, you know, in a way that reflects my own experience of God or something. I can use it in that context, and I'll have people completely deny it. And, mm. and sometimes even have people fights against it. And then in other situations, if you just put the scripture and verse to it, they'll just agree with you. And you can see that it's mm. like, it's like, yes, the windows are open, but the lights aren't on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so I, I find that often there's this, there's, there's that, um, there's a world of difference between the two. I find how people use the Bible is more significant than what they claim it to mean, because it feels to me like all those those uh, you know is it in Texas where you've got those uh, those snake charming churches right? All the venom that goes from the, those Probably. rattlesnakes seems to come <laughs> spitting out of people's mouths when they use the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so that's something that I find myself still wrestling with and being uncomfortable with today is the way in which people use scriptures and verses as proof texts and uh, and bullying, um, mm-hmm. and I really want to um, get away from that. You know, um, um, mm. yeah, uh, and, and I think so. <clears throat> I've also had, if if you don't mind me jumping in there, mm. I think if I if I if I look along kind of the, the journey of where we're going, so. I've also had lots of experiences of, of that with people and the proof texting and, you know, using it as a stick, essentially. In fact, I, c- I can remember one experience. I sat in a, in a home group, which is just a, a group of people who got together once a week. And, and in this one specifically read from the Bible and talked about what it was teaching, etc. And I can remember an argument over a topic between a man who was a part of it and the man who was leading it. Hmm. And eventually the argument got so heated that the man leading the group stood up grabbed a Bible off the table and shook it at this man. And he said, do you believe that this is the word of God? And he said, mm. yes. And he said, then, and he quoted a scripture, and he said, then you're wrong, and slammed the book down on the table. And the man who was arguing against him just kind of sat back like, yeah, okay, well, I guess that uh, that settles it. I, I guess I'm right, yeah. <laughs> and, and there was this, and I, I've never forgotten that moment of just going, okay, all right. And look, these were two, you know, men that I really liked and I really looked up to, but it was just so amazing in that moment that the stick came out and it was, this is what I say, and it's backed up because I've got a couple of chapter verse references to it, and there we go, and so that's it, no more argument, no more conversation, all done, and the other person accepted it. And so 
there's definitely that sort of weaponized. I, I use it to to kind of support myself against others um, space. And then there's one further step along the journey that I think where people are more willing to take the Bible as something that that reads them. You know, I, I've mm, heard that mm, phrase mm, used mm, often. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Luther had this great quote. He talks about the Bible has hands, it lays hold of me. Mm, the Bible mm. has feet, it runs after me. Mm. And the sense of, I think, both how engaging the Bible mm. is as, a, as something to read, um, but also the sense of, the, the Bible is a mirror as something that you use. If you're going to use it as a stick, and I, and I don't think that this actually works, so I'll try and tease that through. You use the stick on yourself, but then we know that using sticks on ourselves doesn't actually lead to any kind of transformation. It's actually about allowing ourselves to be open and loved and mm. and and encouraged and motivated to, to, to mm. change. And so the first position that you're describing for me has, has is more to do with information. It's more yep. the... The, the brittle ego and the rationality of, of and I'm not against mm. rationality, don't hear that, but in, in just the pure logic, rationality, brittle ego sense of, well, if I just gain enough facts and pull enough things together, I can mm. build a universe that works for me. Mm. I've got the information, I can make it work in my way. And mm. that's that point. But when you release that viewpoint, which I used to have, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> so that was my that was my starting point, is I really bought into that the more, the more verses you know, and I used to do that horrendously. I look mm. back and just go, oh, I used to use the chapter and verse thing to uh, mm. make myself feel better and make people feel less. Mm. And then there were some really tender, wonderful people that helped me open my eyes to the fact that actually I could let go of that information stance and I could move on to the formation stance, which is then, okay, well, if there's something hard to be read mm. in this text or something encouraging or something that can make me into a better version of myself, I can look for that and I can read it and it can apply to me mm. and can speak to me. And I think there's some incredibly, well, I've definitely met some incredibly loving and wonderful people who, who read the Bible from that perspective. Mm. Mm. And I used to do the same. And I think you, you, you see that in the devotional traditions and in the wisdom traditions, and they're a little mm. bit different and perhaps we should just talk about them mm. um, of people going, well, you know, this this says love your enemies. So I'm going to do the best I can to love my enemies. What does that mean? Let me just engage with that. Let me sit with that. Let me let that change me mm. over time. Mm. And there you have that internal, that intra-relational sort of manifestation of me interacting with myself and with the piece of text. And it's either kind of very wisdom-oriented, like, you know, you, if I think immediately of Proverbs, for example, has got lots of just wise sayings. If you do this, then this will happen. But if you do that, then that will happen. And you go, okay, well, I can integrate that into who I am. So, I mean, it's good not to be lazy. It's good to be, you know, industrious and to work hard and to live a good life and to work, look after others, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's other sort of more, for me, story-oriented stuff that talk more about me becoming as a person and becoming more and more but all of that happens between the text and myself internally um and then sometimes will also manifest so there's the intro and then you have the interrelational for example you could read the text in a group and then you start to interact with others and so that's that starts to point towards the relational side of it um <clears throat> and those are were and still to some degree remain for me like really helpful and 
useful and and sort of formational ways of interacting with the biblical text. I believe that that is really um, I'm sort of battling for words here. Like it's a, it's a it's an important way to read the text if you want to aim to be a better version of yourself. If you want to aim for maturity, I think there's a lot there, um, and. And that's really vital. And, and I think what I would add to that, a third aspect is there's also an academic way of reading the text, which I've discovered in the last five years more at a far deeper level, at least, which has been truly, truly fascinating for me to just read like, like really, really good sort of biblical scholarship stuff um, and to listen to and interact with like really good biblical scholars um the the bible for normal people is a is a phenomenal resource that if people are looking for that i would suggest go and start there and the reason it's so good is because it inter it connects you with just this it's like a smorgasbord it's a buffet of biblical scholars and interests from archaeology to original texts dead sea scrolls to a number of different forms of theology etc cetera, etc cetera. and so those three are really really good important ways to read the bible and i would suggest that to start with if anyone's reading it from an information perspective using it as a weapon the first thing to do is to drop that and move to the formative one that i'm suggesting here and pick up some of these but for me there's a, there's a there's a further point to move on to and without it necessarily being so linear i think it's just if i look at those relationships i'm describing there's an there's an important one that's missing there and so we have the self with the self with the text internally. We have myself and others as I, as I engage relationally with others, either reading the text or practicing what I have read in the text and what I'm integrating with others. But it misses the self to divine interaction. And that's something that I really want to take seriously. A, because I think the text takes it seriously. And B, because experientially, or maybe or maybe there's not an A and B in terms of rank order preference, but they both exist sort of together. Um, but that my, my experience also bears up what the text talks about. And I guess you, you could flip those around. My experience, the text, the text bears up what my experience says, and my experience bears up what the text says. They're sort of mutually affirming for me. But I don't see the academic as necessarily needing to, A, because I've I've met I've 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 read and I've listened to sort of agnostic atheist religious scholars that are doing interesting biblical text work, um, so you don't need the self to divine relationship, and it's also not necessarily like it doesn't follow as a part of the process necessarily mm -hmm. to do the academic work. The wisdom tradition work is also very easily done in this in the interrelational or the interrelational myself or, mm -hmm. or with others. And it doesn't need the divine element. Mm. And then you get the, the devotional one, which I think is worth spending a bit of time on because people will claim that it has the divine element in it naturally, but I'm not always convinced it does. Mm. And so it's to take seriously that third element of relationship when reading the mm. text. And perhaps we can spend some time there. But I've spoken a lot, so I thought, well, let me just stop for a bit and see like, if you want to chuck in anything on there or... Or take that in a different direction or what you're thinking sure 
Um, you have, so said you, have a lot. <laughs> you have said a lot there, so there's a lot. <laughs> so I don't want to I don't want to repeat anything that you've you said except uh, except say that that there's so much in your journey and the changing reading of, of of scripture and the changing relationship to it that actually reflects my own, because I've mm. also had each and every single one of those stances from. You know, mm. you know, there's like faithful daily living things that you read every mm, day. Mm, you can mm. read the Bible every day and meditate on the Word of God. So I've done that. Mm. I've done the formal thing, studied hermeneutics. You know, um, that actually saved the Bible mm. for me. Is 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 sure. uh, understanding biblical formation, uh, getting into the original languages. You know, all that kind of stuff. And and it saved it from from the the way in which Scripture is abused in many circles and by many people that I that I encountered. Um, yeah, and tell also me just some more by, about that, if you can. You know, you, you'll have someone say things like, um, uh, you know, they create these divides between like the Old Testament and New Testament. I, I mean, I, I had someone, um, it, was, it was a couple of months ago, basically go, yeah, we're Christians. We don't, we don't, we don't take the Old Testament seriously. Like the Old Testament's mm. not important. It's the New Testament only that counts. And going, what? No, mm. hang on. <laughs> <laughs> like, where did you suck that out of? No, no, no. My church preaches it. Oh, really? This is a good, this is a good evangelical, like large church yeah, sure. in Cape Town. I'm going, Really? Really? You, so, you honestly think that they're going to stand by that? I mean, I, I'd love to have a conversation with that person and just hit them on the head. You know, I mean, mm. I mean, let me backtrack yeah. that. I'd love to have a conversation with them and just have them buy me coffee and spew their heresy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and there I jest because it's it, it's nice that the, the the heresy accusation can just be on the other foot. You know, I yes. you know that like I, I know that church leader and I, I know that they're uncomfortable with me and why. And, and it's because I put forward the relational presence of God and here they're making a statement that is fundamentally like like wrong and that kind of stuff happens often or when people say things like um you know like, like, like paul's a misogynist and he wanted women just mm. to be quiet and, and things like that and you go well, hang on you're completely missing the historical context but you're also missing what the same yeah. paul says in other texts so you, you're buying mm. into a position that might be a popular position within your circle but that's not actually the position that you could arrive at if you even just simply read the text you mm. know and so so there's there's often Often it's not about the text, it's about what people have been programmed with and how they have been told that being obedient and faithful to God looks like the following, and we're going to put a lot of emphasis and pressure on you to conform to that in yeah. what you say and do. And I think that's different. And so, so the big thing for me really is that, is that it's almost like people could quote um, John and go, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and then the Word became text. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've always loved that. It's it's often left out of any New Testament translations. Which is I, I know it's 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 there it's there, but in, in in lesser known scrolls that that we haven't found yet. But I'm sure we're going to find it, and we've we've really been hard at work of it, especially since the Reformation, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, because because I feel like that that actually becomes uh, the the real problem. I I. I, I I realized that in my journey, I went from encountering God to being pushed into the narrow lane of prioritizing a text, but prioritizing text in a way that didn't support engagement with God, that actually cast suspicion on it, that didn't, um, that didn't draw from the text ways in which we could engage God and arrive at an understanding of, of what kind of experience and relationship can I actually have with God. We basically narrowed it down to, to, to a selection of texts that went... The church is necessary. Faith is sufficient. Don't trust your experience. Um, mm. 
don't don't trust yourself in relation to God. You can't trust that you can hear from God. And mm. um, and, and I always found that quite interesting because you know the the text itself and figures in the text, it they're out of the blue. You know, like you're dealing with 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 people across a couple of thousand years of of of, of history in different settings mm. amidst other religions, basically mm. going. There's a specific God that spoke to us, and hey, we can recognize. You know, like a lineage that goes before mm. us, and, and we mm. recognize that this God's speaking about things to come after we pass. And you know what? We can trust this God, and we can recognize that we in that continuum. You know, so there's mm. something there that actually um, supersedes the text. You know, because the text would not exist without the relational engagement of God. Mm. To 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 land on the text as though relational engagement with God is not important and only faith is important and the church is what is necessary as in the institution of the church, I think is to completely miss the point. So much so mm. that I, I, I honestly just question, have people then read, have people then read the scripture? Do they actually take it as seriously as I do? And so, and so for me, I, I don't think I was ever at the point where I ever took it literally as a text. I don't think you can, especially not when you get any kind of reasonable exposure to text, you know, to, to the formation of the canon or the, you know, textual criticism or anything like that. Um, mm. But that doesn't mean that one can't take it seriously. You know, you're dealing yeah. with dif different genres and you're dealing with, um, um, with, a, with, a, with a human to divine interplay. And that's really important. Mm. You know, I, I feel like, um, I, I don't know if I'm going too far from what you said earlier, so I'm just rambling. So frame me back it. at any point. You know, I had someone ask me the other day um, right. because they're they're going through uh, some challenges just in terms of God's absence, and I get this quite often from people, where where this where there's this basic discrepancy. The Bible says the following, my experience is the following. They don't match. So somehow, I've got to jump through hoops to say that even though I'm experiencing falling, that's not really true. What's true is God is with me. God hasn't abandoned me. God loves me. What am I actually experiencing? I'm going through the midst of a massive life crisis or I'm going through the midst mm. of a, you know, some form of, some form of crisis or other, or, you know, you know, some form of internal crisis, like whatever one may be, be going through, you know, business deals, divorces, depression, like whatever, you know, there's the sense of going, I desperately needed God to speak to me and God didn't and God hasn't. And I'm really struggling with that. And then people going, yeah, but if you just read your Bible and you knew you, you pulled out that text, that's God speaking to you. You know, mm -hmm. and so there's a world of difference between between those two. And so I, I feel like I've also made that shift like 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 you have to go through mm -hmm. all these others to draw on these various other ways of reading, reading the Bible and practicing spirituality or letting it inform me or shape me or anything like that, right? But but actually bring it, brought me to this place where I feel like I now read it with an eye to go, you know what? When God said a lot of those things, it wasn't to me, it was to someone that is long dead in history. <laughs> mm. And I can't just appropriate that. I can, I, can, mm -hmm. I, I, can, I can take it seriously and I can take the experience seriously and I can take, um, you know, uh, to whichever measure I, I, I need to, uh, that there's actually a historical event or a happening and God was involved in it and spoke to people. And I can take that seriously, but I wasn't alive then. I didn't live then. God didn't speak those words to me. And so, so, so a big shift for me has been starting to see the Bible as a, as a window into other people's relationships with God. Mm. Um, a, a picture of who this God is that builds up uh, you know, in and through that, but as an opportunity for me to go, hey, that's the kind of God, that's the God that I want to experience. 
that's mm. the kind of God that I want to relate to. How do I go about doing that? Can I glean anything from these people's lives? Can I glean anything from God's interaction with them? You know, um, but but I've shifted mm. to to the place where I'm I'm not trying to misappropriate what was said and done to others and for others, um, mm. as though it applies one to one to me. Because even though it's for me in that sense that I can pick up on it and and draw on the text, it's not for me in the sense that it was being done to me in that situation. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense or if I've just no that, that's off no too that's far. absolutely it because I think. <clears throat> Kind of where I would hope to land within this episode, one of the one of the few points that I, I really would want to just kind of mm-hmm. settle on as much as possible before any you know further conversation, mm. sort of with other people, individuals, or we do any other recordings about the Bible, is mm. that to read the Bible from a relational spirituality perspective. Mm is to take seriously the web of relationships that exist within the text and in when I relate to the text and that I relate to the text and to God all at the same time, potentially. And I think that that's a very, it's like an initial stab at trying to be as concise as I can around what's going on there, because I think for me, out of the three that I highlighted there, the academic or the wisdom tradition or the devotional one, if we use that terminology for now, the devotional one comes closest to what I'm thinking. And people will say, okay, so <clears throat> quick stab, but then the devotional spirituality is to, to read your Bible every day. God is speaking to you through the Bible. Mm. God will illuminate a certain passage for you, etc. And I'm, I'm not anti any of that so much mm. as just trying to understand it for what it is mm. and go, okay, that's, that's great. But to a certain extent, what that possibly means is that I do appropriate, for example, I read a story on Abraham and I place myself in Abraham's shoes mm. and I go, okay, well, then I am Abraham at this mm. point in my life. And because I make that jump and I cross that border somehow, that boundary between myself as an individual and the character of Abraham as an individual. I enter into that story. It's kind of Augustine's um, imaginative contemplation, mm. or is it mm. Ignatius's imaginative yeah. contemplation? One of the I, think two. I think it's Augustine. Ignatian. Ignatian, maybe. Yeah. And so I enter into the story, but my experience then is conditioned by the story. And that is a powerful boundary to put mm. in because it can be quite exclusive. So I enter into Abraham's story and I start to live the story of the text, mm. but I potentially only live the story of the text. And, and mm. this is partly why it's so hard to talk to somebody who has a very high of scripture, a very high view of scripture in a very either literal or, or doesn't even have to be literal. They can be reading the Bible at multiple different levels but Mm. would prioritize Bible reading and Bible familiarity and Mm. God speaking to you through the Bible over direct experience of God. Mm. Because I then go, okay, well, I'm like Abraham, and perhaps I'm going to do this, and this is going to happen, and then God would say that, and this will happen in my life. And so now I expect that to be my life. Mm. But what if God is sitting next to me and wants to say, 
you know, part of the reason that uh, you're reading this Abraham story, for example, is because I want to contrast your life against Abraham's. And I want to tell you, Abraham did that, but I think you might do this. Or I would want you rather to say no when Abraham said yes, or, or whatever it is. And you kind of go, oh, holy cow. Okay, well, like that is more for me what I would be wanting to take aim at. And so if I keep that boundary between Abraham was a person, and I am a person and we are separate and there might be resonances between our story and I can enter into the story to a certain extent, but understand that I'm taking on their story and I'm allowing God to speak through that. Mm. I think it also keeps open the idea that God can, I think I'm doing this quite clumsily, but that God can speak to me directly. Mm. But that means that I have to hold that stance of mm. the priority here is that God and I will interact. Mm. And that if it is through the medium of the text, it is still God and I interacting. Yeah. And so the relationship that exists there allows God to speak as a free agent, allows mm. me to respond as a free agent. Mm. And our interacting is not, con is not constricted by the text. The text mm. can facilitate, but mm. God can also speak outside of the text. And I think that's a very radical statement to make for people who are in a different kind of high, you know, high view of scripture space that I tried to describe just now, because mm. they're immediate. No, God won't do that. God won't speak outside of the boundaries of the text. That's all there is. Mm. And I think that's where the devotional position sits. I mean, the relational position says, yes, let me take seriously. Let me have a better stab at this. <clears throat> I want to take seriously that there's a that, that that there was potentially a person called Abraham, and they had direct experience from God. Mm. I can glean things like you've said, I can look at that and I can learn about God through that. Mm. I can learn about other people and how they've responded with God. Mm. I can learn lots of things about God and there are other relationships and there's this, this kind of interweaving of a web of relationships in the text because mm. there's different people and they have different experiences. You know, Moses' experience and Abraham's experience are somewhat different mm. as is Joseph's, as is Paul's. You know, there's some things, some threads that tie together very much, but there's also different things said to different people at different times. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I want to take that seriously, and I want to take it seriously by remaining myself and understanding that I am viewing other people's relationships. And if God then says to me, oh, I see you very much like an Abraham, mm. I'm like an Abraham, I'm not Abraham. Mm. And so I'm not completely captive to the story as it played out that way because i think people can take over those narratives and make that all about their life and now everything mm. is conditioned that way but in real time i'm sitting here in a chair and i have a text in front of me and i'm taking all of that seriously as i've tried to very clumsily explain but what i'm also doing is i'm imagine i'm not imagining <laughs> i must be careful i don't think that's freudian i'm quite certain it's not I understand that God is present potentially to me in that moment as well, mm. not only mediated through the text, but present personally to me to speak and act. Mm. Mm. And so A, that means I don't necessarily need the text for God to speak. Mm. B, it means that as I interact with the text and I interact with God, that can look practically like 
what the hell is this dumb fool Abraham doing? Like, what is going on? And why did they? Why did Abraham ask those questions? And why did you respond in that way, God? Mm. And that is intentionally a relationship between myself as self and the divine other as other. Mm. Distinction between two persons relating to each other at the same time that I'm relating with the text and the story about the God that I'm now in present tense relating to, but relating to a past story of that God relating to an Abraham. And so all of the boundaries around the personhoods there, I think that's what I'm trying to get mm. at, are still present. Mm. But I am entering into the story, and so there is an element there. But I'm not engaging with a God, potentially, forget the figures, it doesn't matter, 5,000 years ago, mm. and what they said to Abraham. And I'm not only interacting with that interaction. Present tense now, I'm also hopeful, expectant, mm desiring of a present tense interaction with God right mm. now that might have different language, different intent, different questions, different mm. askings of me right here and right now. Mm. And perhaps if I get super practical like that, it gets the clearest because it's difficult to describe this in a way because it, it seems to just keep, it keep wants to, it wants to collapse back into that devotional thing. Yeah, but then, but that's what you're doing, Steve. You're just reading the text, and there's God, and oh, God said those things. Of course, we take seriously that God's real, but then mm -hmm. we have to take seriously that God could be here right now. Yeah. Or, I can read that and I go, oh wow, and God's relating to Abraham, and I can turn to God and go, and what do you have to say about that right now? Mm -hmm. And God can be absent, and here I am reading and interacting with a story of a of an engagement between God and a person, mm -hmm. and I'm living an absence between God and my person right now. And those yeah. two are intention. And it's not resolved by reading the book. And it's not resolved by going, I need to be more of the people in the book and mm. appropriate their narratives and make those my life narratives. Mm. As you were saying earlier, I have to live the experience of what, what is real, what is really real now. And perhaps as I read, I'll become aware of God's presence because God is really active and I missed it. Mm. God was for argument's sake, on my left-hand side instead of my right, mm. let's say. Or yep. I'm aware God is with me and has been the whole way through the day and I mm. haven't been paying attention. Mm. Or I can have my, my sense heightened that God really is absent and is not looking at me, speaking to me right now in that moment. Mm. And I have to really, really take that on board and not go, Oh, well, isn't it wonderful? God spoke to Abraham. God is with me right now. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you talk about the abandonment thing. And so mm -hmm. I find it very, very difficult to explain because people who do devotional reading will say, but God is everywhere. God is here right now. Like, why can't you just accept that? That's, that's for me regressing back to the informational perspective too far. Mm -hmm. That, oh, well, you know, the book just says this, so that's what it is. And you have that fact, so you arm yourself with that fact. And with that, you keep the emotional and relational darkness at bay, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it <laughs> yes. doesn't work that way because the relational and emotional darkness is real. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel difficult, harmful, hurtful things. And mm -hmm. sometimes I experience difficult, harmful, hurtful things relationally. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Freud would say that if we try to bury that stuff and get rid of it, it's not gone. It'll, it's going to come back. It's going to claw itself out of the grave and surprise you at some point in your life. Mm. So you have to face that darkness. You have to take that seriously. And I can't just disappear and let myself 
you know, be, be taken up into the person of Abraham or Moses or Joshua or anyone else mm. and expect that to disappear. Mm. And I think you will find as well, even in the text, that there's examples of people kind of a, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is probably mm. the pinnacle. But there's others, you know, I think of Job wrestling with people uh, for 38 chapters before God appears. There's, you know, the textual examples, but they're also for me experiential examples of God mm. being absent. And, you know, we've talked about the, the, the presence and absence of God previously, so I don't need to rehash all of that. But mm. so, maybe this is why I just gave myself the space earlier on to say, like, I'm still chewing this through and really trying to formulate that. Well, it's maybe why it's still a bit clumsy, but, mm-hmm. but, but, but there's a web of relating. Part of it is me relating within myself. Part of it is me relating present tense now to a God whose personhood I take seriously, who may be actively speaking and engaging or may not be right now. Mm. As I then, in a different direction, pour myself in and I engage into a text that speaks about that God who may or may not be present with me here and now, but Mm. was present with others in different ways. Mm. And I can be present to that God in the text and I can be present to to the people and the narratives of their lives and how it played out as well. And I can be relating there in all of those stories, which is very important because much of our life is understood through the stories we we take on, we understand, that we tell for yeah. ourselves. And I must understand all of those relationships, but I must understand what they are and what they aren't. Mm. And that's why the text is not the all in all for me. That would be one of my conclusions as well, because mm. it's not God. Yeah, that's that's my take on it. The, the, like you say, the. <laughs> The word became flesh and then became a tree and then got cut down and chopped up and turned into <laughs> the Bible. I, it, it's, I don't see that. I don't experience that. I don't understand that. Mm. I, it's just not the way it is. Mm. Um, make, make, makes sense as to why he was a carpenter, mm. really, when you think of the text as well, being the end result. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, Anyway. You know, as as I'm as I'm listening to you and and reflecting what you're saying, I I want to throw something out there and just uh, just let me know how this how this how this sits with you. Mm. So basically, we've got the academic and the formal reading, where mm. where an individual engages the text with the purpose of going, mm. what knowledge does the text give us? What legalities do we derive from us? What understanding can I attain? So mm. it's, it's an individual. The relational transaction is the individual to the text and what they make of it. Then mm. we've got these these two real expressions of formative spirituality. The end result of formative spirituality is is you want the re- renovation of the human heart, uh, with mm. the with the result that they live in more loving ways to others. Right in in mm. you know you know, and there's there's two key um, expressions of formative spirituality. The one is the devotional, like the evangelical devotional. So we attain a transformation by arriving at a clear knowledge of God and an undoing of ourselves because we're sinners and we've got to conform to the behavior and the attitudes um, and the mind of Christ. So we arrive at this transformation <laughs> by what we know about God from what we get from Scripture. And, and then we undo ourselves and we give ourselves up to be what Christ is like on one hand. Then on the other hand, we've got the wisdom tradition which is me reading scripture again, but then spending time with myself. So I arrive at wisdom for living mm. through an unknowing of the God that I thought that I knew. 
and arrive at a knowing by, of myself by sitting with myself and spending that time with myself. So those are that's a loose statement between those three ways of reading scripture and, and, and dealing with them. None of those have the primary objective in mind. The text is the stepping stone to be engaging that God as present in person. In the academic and formal, we read the text, we engage the text, we disseminate the text, we chop it up, we, you know, we're building our understanding, right? I'm not actually engaging that God. In a COVID way, I'm understood by assumption that I'm supposed to be experiencing God, engaging God, and that God's involved in that. In the formative expressions of spirituality, like the devotional, I'm engaging the text. I'm reflecting on the attitudes, the behavior, the teachings of Christ, and then I'm looking at how I don't conform to that, and I do myself, and then I'm supposed to conform to that. But here again, don't have in mind the immediate engagement with God. What I have in mind is the idea that by me doing that and dedicating myself to that by faith and faithfulness, that God is involved in that, in speaking and acting and engaging me. But again, that's a COVID contract and it's an assumption. And it assumes that if I achieve that end result, then God has been in it. And if I don't, that God mm -hmm. is not. In the wisdom tradition, I feel like we have the same thing. Yes, I'm arriving at a knowing of God and a knowing of myself, and I'm doing that in relation to the text and imaginative practices, you know, um, uh, you know. But there again, my, my my primary engagement is 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 in the wisdom tradition, not actually the text. The text becomes a vehicle for me to primarily engage myself, and I'm and, and it is understood that by primarily engaging myself, that I've meaningfully interacted with the text, and therefore also, it's the implicit assumption that somehow God has all somehow been involved in all of that. And that the end result can be attributed to God in terms of how I, how wise and loving I grow to being and how well I get to know myself and how sensitive I become to others, etc., etc. But there again as well, it, we don't have in view the immediate engagement with God. Yes, I engage mm. God imaginatively um, in my imaginal space by what I do, but I'm doing that work. And if I suck at having any kind of imaginal framework in my mind, well, then I suck at engaging God. <laughs> you mm. know, if I can't spend this quiet time alone, if I can't have a retreat-based spirituality, then I can't really do this, right? Now, we can draw on all these different wisdom traditions to support that, um, but we actually don't even need God for that, that end result. You know, in terms of formative spirituality, we can trade out Jesus for any religious figure, and we can trade out God for, for, for everything and, and basically just land up with the secular equivalent of it, and we're still going to arrive at the same kind of wisdom and transformational uh, outcome, if you if you know what I mean. Or at least that's how I feel about it. Mm. So it becomes challenging there because I feel like what the text primarily gives us is this God becomes present. <laughs> okay, so yes, we've got a text. So what do we do? Well, we're not engaging the God that becomes present or may or may not become present or even recognizing God's absence. We're basically going... This text says that God is ever-present, and if I'm not experiencing God's presence, something's wrong with me, and I've just got to change my framework and, and, and make God's absence into God's presence because that's the bigger truth, and I just don't see it. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's mm. the, the frustration that I've got. And, and I feel like your, your opening statement there was, was one of going, God can speak outside the text. I think, I think we've got to invert that a little. God is often silent, and God speaks. And God is sometimes silent, even when we're reading the text. And sometimes God will speak to us in and through the text. 
But even if God is doing that, we're not necessarily doing the activity of being present to that God because we're expecting that it's through the vehicle of the text that God is going to speak to us. Not that we can necessarily set aside the text. I mean, you're saying we can set aside the text, right? So I'm not putting that on you. But I think in terms of, of the tradition that we're in, the tradition of the faith, of Christianity as a whole, it's basically going text, 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 text. <laughs> and it's putting mm. that primary over setting the text aside and just spending time with God even. Um, mm. Mm. Sure. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> This puts us in a bit of a tough position, Steve. <laughs> Where does this put us in relation to the text? <laughs> well, look, I, th I, th I think a number of the points that you touch on, each of those have a bit of a spectrum of expression in a way. Mm -hmm. And in, in some of them, I feel as though what you're giving us is one side of the spectrum, which I don't disagree with. Mm. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly see that as well. So... Let me think of the most, uh, most one that highlights it the best. Perhaps the devotional one. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I, I do think, let's say, for example, in the, yeah, I think in the devotional one. I agree with you. I think it's possible to do all of these actions mm. without any thought of God as God's self. And in that way, like, you know, God can be replaced by any religious figure or any mm. ideology to a certain point. And I think that's like we've, I think we've touched a little bit from time to time on the idea of just, you know, basic mindfulness and, and those sorts of practices. All of that can just be substituted here because the, the idea is the maturation of the self mm. and the, the sort of the, the end product is the best version of you, mm. Um, mm. let's say. And I think that can be done in a number of different ways. Mm. And that's part of, let's say, the, the spectrum of, the, of the, the devotional, for example. Perhaps mm. on, the, on the other side, I think there is a, a genuine desire for a connection with God and statements like, well, with without a without a genuine connection with God, you won't arrive at the best version of yourself because the best version of yourself mm. is rooted in in God, for example. Mm. So just mere mindfulness of, of just self interacting with self or wisdom or whatever it might be, it's not actually going to achieve the desired result. Mm. But at that point, <clears throat> I would also say the distinction is in some way that's more of a hands off approach with God which doesn't take seriously what we're talking about, the, the personhood in the immediacy of a mm. God that steps forward to speak and act. Mm. That's more of the gardening analogy, right? You know, the, the yeah. vine and the branches and the connection yeah. and whatever. And that it's, it's more of a removed connection in that it's kind of like a, an impassive gardener who mm. is kind of interested in the best, you know, you're becoming the best flower that you can and is making sure you get all the nutrients and all the, all the connection, all the, all the, all the benefits and the sun and the water and the tending and the cutting off the bad shoots of you and that sort of stuff. But it's not the same as, uh, as the picture of two lovers intimately mm. connected. Mm. There's still, a, there's still a break. Mm. There's still a distance between mm. the connection. Mm. And sometimes I think 
well, I think a lot of the time that's from from the from the human perspective because it's it's as if that's the pinnacle. So, you know, on the one side of the spectrum, you have the we can replace God with anything, and it's just a process, and it's purely on the inside. All the way through to the most generous side of that spectrum is, yeah, but it, but I really am trusting God to work within me because I can only reach the best version of myself. God will do that work within me. But it's but it's kind of, you know, well. The, it's, it's kind of like saying you have a relationship with a surgeon because mm -hmm. every time you lie down on the table, they knock you out with some mm -hmm. sort of uh, mm -hmm. uh, anesthetic and then perform some surgery and you come out as, as a better version of yourself. You say, well, mm -hmm. tell me about the surgeon. Oh, well, I can, uh, I'll read you their resume or <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I'll show you their office or the instruments they use or whatever. And look at me. Can't you see that I'm becoming a better me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't argue with you at all on any of those things. But where's the presence of the surgeon in your life? Did the surgeon say anything? Mm. No, but they wrote some notes for me to read when I woke up from an anesthetic. And, it, and there's a disconnect there rather than the, the, the sort of the, the immediacy of the relating. Mm. And so even there, like, if, if I'm hearing you correctly and we mm. place both sides of those spectrums, I would say anywhere from the sort of the very cynical to the overly generous mm. are not hitting on what we're trying to what we're trying mm. to suggest mm. which is is the face-to-face -face contact mm. which is which is difficult to put to pin down because it's somewhat guaranteed and somewhat not because mm. the absence of god says it's not guaranteed mm. but the experiential says that it is, you know, and, and mine and others' experiences. And that's, you know, then I would go back to the text as well and say there are people who've written experientially and said, well, you know, just, just keep looking for me and you'll find me. Keep mm. seeking and I'll whatever, knock and the door mm. will be opened to you. Those kinds of statements for me are, are built from a relational perspective. When I read them from a relational perspective, I take them seriously from that. Mm. Mm. That's not just be plugged into me and it'll kind of happen. Mm. Just lie down on the table and I'll perform surgery and, and you'll come out as a better version of you because then the pinnacle is just to become a better version of you. Yeah, yeah. So from the quasi or the semi-detached connection through to the, it's actually just purely possible to do this all on your own. That doesn't speak to the relational as mm. deeply as what I want to take aim for and what I feel drawn to. And uh, mm. I, I don't know if that makes sense in response to what you're saying or what you think of that. No, no, it does, and I, I really like that because, <clears throat> because, yeah, I mean, I, I was giving a very narrow um, expression, you know, trying to be summative, you know, give a shorthand version of each of those, and yeah, I, I like. I like the way that you give the the scope to go. There's a cynical way and a very generous like way. Like there's a whole continuum along the line, in terms of how to how to read them, and that actually as we open up that scope, it is important that we do recognise that in each of those ways of reading the scripture and prioritising it, that none of them are actually prioritising the face to face contact. None of them have in mind that that is actually the end result. Like, why do we actually mm. read the text? It is so that we can have face-to-face -face contact. The way in which we read it, the way in which we use it, what we draw from it to enable that is a, you know, like that's that's going to vary. Um, mm. But but the end point is not to go, I want to be a better product of me and how do I get there? Well, through whichever way I engage this text. 
the the idea is, is is perhaps even to take off the 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 focus because sure you know you do a lot of counseling like how well do relationships work where the end result of the relationship is one person wanting a better version of the other person i mean is it in in 99 of those relationships 98 97 should i keep yeah, going it's a it's a prerequisite for a healthy relationship is that the one person <laughs> is only invested in the, the the betterment of the other like if you get that right, everything else is a walk in the park. Yeah. I know. I just just think of everything that's aided <laughs> we need by like that a, from a sarcasm porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think of how communication is enabled by that. Security is enabled by enabled by that. Like yeah, closeness, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like like all and these great actual things. relating to each other. Like exactly. you don't need any of that. If the only the only point is Tim in our friendship, the only point here is that you become a better version of you. Like, screw the relating to each other. That doesn't really matter. The only thing yeah. that matters here is that you become a better you. Yeah. There we go. Now, 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 now that's a doubt. Now, now, going back to early in the season where we were going, <laughs> in, if our human-to-human -human relationships don't work this way, why on earth would we consider this to be a healthy human-to-divine relationship or divine-to-human? Mm -hmm. You know, um, if, if anything... We should be, you know, if the text is inhibiting us from being able to sit in front of God and spend time going, let's have a connection, we should set the text aside. Because either we've read it wrong or it's been programmed to us wrong, or actually at that point it's just not helpful. But the God of creation is also the God of the text. <laughs> and if we're going... No, Steve. I'm sorry. You can't. You can't trust that God. You've got to trust the text. Again, mm. there's something wrong there. We can't trust the text. We, we can trust the text and not trust God. That's the reality. And that I think that reality plays out more and more often than going. If I trust that God, like my relationship to the text has changed because the text is no longer priority. So just just. By that very nature, just by that very simple change, people who make the text their only priority will be at odds and treat anyone that doesn't take it as seriously as they do or put it in that God box like they do. They'll cast mm. them as a heretic, whether that person is relating to God or if that person is not relating to God. Why? Because the yeah. text is being rejected. What's primary yeah. to them is being rejected. And I feel like I bump up against that more often than not. Um, mm. compared to bumping mm. up against people where, yes, they've got a healthy respect for the text, but the text is not all important. Um, and yeah. the text doesn't have to be the subject of the discussion of, of meaningfully relating to God. Because I also yeah. feel that some people are judging me when they ask me that question. They're basically trying to determine if I have a relationship with God on the answer of whether my answer matches their relationship to the text. <laughs> and, mm. and and in turn, I'm trying to worm my way around that and basically go, well, how do you relate to God? Like, you know, or, mm. you know, like, w w why is it important that you're asking this in this way? Like, what are you trying to defend? Yeah. And I feel yeah. like in, in many situations, people are trying to defend that mystagogic framework that that we relate to God by faith and we wrestle through the mysteries of things and we wrestle through scripture to, to know God. That that's that's where they're coming from and i tend to think of that not as the mature expression of faith that i feel that the evangelicals have cast it at especially since the reformation but i think of it as a as a stage of faith that needs to pass away in in as as relational intimacy with god grows 
because mm. because when you get to know someone relationally it's 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 most important what's most important is not how you knew them 5 10 15 20 years ago what's most important is whether that journey of knowing them enables you to be closer in your relationship and your companionship with them and companionship mm. does include silence it does include people going away and distance <laughs> um mm. It, it mm. does include commitment. It does include security. It does include all of those kind of things. But I can also be relating to an absent God and build some kind of security in myself around that and basically change mm. my mind about what presence means and arrive at the mm. same thing and then say it's the same thing. And that's not the case. I think mm. Mm. I think that the text as a whole begins with the God that is vocal, <laughs> speaking creation mm. into being. You know, the God that is hands-on, forming an Adam and Eve from the dust of the earth, basically going, I want to be more personally associated with you. You know, the, the God that, that, that puts them forward is going, you're my image. I want you to represent me. You're going to look like me, you know. Mm. And, and hence, even, even you know, statements to, to Moses, you know, um, God saying to Moses, you're going to be like God, <laughs> and Aaron is going mm. to look like your prophet. I mean, that's a powerful statement coming from God, you know. Mm. Um, you know, go and quote that text as though God said that to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. People suddenly going to get very uncomfortable, right? Like, how mm -hmm. could you do that? And yet, that's actually how God sees us. God wants us to look like God and be like God. You know, it's a, it's a yeah, anyway. So I, mm -hmm. I just feel that the, the more we get into this relational engagement and the more we draw out this, the stories in Scripture about how relationally engaged God is, I feel like the more it, it, it leaves me in the corner of going, the text is not primary. Um, the text is a number of things uh, amongst the number of things that are there that, that can be useful. Um, mm. we, we may even throw it at the top of the pile of the most useful, but we don't need to have it there even if we are relating to God. Um, mm. you know, and that's, that's, a, that's a difficult statement because the, the Christian faith is so statement. stuck with that, right? But, yeah. but it, it, it is also the true, true statement because when did people in, in, in that biblical lineage start taking god seriously was it only after the new testament <laughs> you know yeah um yeah. you know yeah you know anyway i mean yeah, there's there's, yeah. there's a number of ways just to ask questions that just that just uncover that you know that that, yeah. that gets around that that basically shows no that they, they took it seriously from the minute they encountered god and 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 how many people mm. are there in and through this book that didn't take god seriously even born within that faith up until god started speaking to him one-on-one -on -one. And that's mm. that's the fundamental difference is is everyone that that stands out in that text <laughs> is people mm. that really spoke to God. Mm. You know, they may have turned from God, they may have turned to God, but the, the, their engagement with God is 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 the key part of that, right? Um, mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like that. I, th I think two things in 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 response to that because I you you at some point you used the language of setting aside. <clears throat> and I think that that's really helpful. I think the problem with, with, with the paradigm of, of the Bible right at the top of the pyramid is that any language of setting aside, et cetera, is seen as complete rejection. Mm. Mm. But so this, this is a kind of a very generalized distilled statement, but built off my experience mm. and others. And I would just be quick to point out that generalized statements, while they may be very helpful and theoretically true, 
also need to be lived out experientially. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily follow that just because this has been the experience for many people that it has to be yours, listener, but it does seem to be relatively frequent mm. that to take God seriously, relationally, one-to-one, if you come from a background where the Bible is put as pinnacle, mm. often there's a setting aside of the text that happens, and perhaps you know we might even I might even use the language of needs to happen mm. to kind of mm. restore that balance. Mm. Is a setting aside, and and a setting aside. Let me put it this way: if 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 my daughter comes to talk to me and I have my phone in front. If she says, Dad, you're not listening to me, you're not, you're not here, you're not present because you're on mm. your phone. If I set aside my phone by just just sort of frustratingly I place it down on my lap quickly, the screen is still on, it's mm. facing up towards me, and I kind of look across her and go, yeah, 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 look, what is it? I haven't really set my phone aside to give her mm. my full attention. If I set my phone aside, I turn it off and I put it in my pocket or I put it away where it's no longer between us. And what that means is I haven't just for a moment gone, okay, well, I'll just move this sort of out of the way between us, sort of, so it's not in our direct way, but actually it's still really calling to me. Mm. And it is conditioning our interaction because the phone is there, it's on, and maybe something mm. will pop up, maybe I'll get distracted. I can easily be drawn back into that. But if I really take my interaction with one of my kids seriously, I'll put the phone away in my pocket, I'll put it you know, on a table and turn to them, I'll give them my full attention. Mm. And by setting aside, I don't put a clock necessarily on the setting aside, because maybe they need five minutes of interaction, maybe they need an hour. I haven't already decided well, I'll mm. just put this thing down for five minutes and then I'm immediately going to pick it up again. Mm. There is a risk associated with setting aside because it bears the possibility that you don't pick it up again mm. or you don't pick it up again. You don't pick it up for a long time. Mm. And that's a significant risk to take because it's a real reordering and rewrite. It's a reordering of your paradigm. It's a rewriting of the script by which you live to put the Bible aside Mm. and go, okay, well, I'm going to focus on God. Mm. But for me, it's similar to that, okay, I'm going to give my full attention to another human being, and I'm not going to have this thing sitting just to my mm. left where it could distract me still or whatever. I'm really going to put it aside. But it means that I might not pick it up again for another week mm. or maybe a month, maybe a year. And that is, that is significantly challenging mm. if the Bible has been foundational. Because, and I think in those contexts, the Bible often becomes God. And so you are essentially releasing your yeah. hand. You are, you are letting go of God mm. or your God in that case. You are letting mm. go. And letting go doesn't mean I'm just safely moving it to the side. Like I'm going to still hold on tight, but I'm going to look in the other direction. Letting go means letting go. And maybe it will be gone forever or maybe it will return to you. Mm. But you won't know that until you truly let go. And I, I think that that setting aside of the Bible is an important and necessary part of taking God seriously relationally. Mm. Mm. Perhaps that may then be part of your journey as well. Mm. And part of that then is that, you know, I, I think of, if you think, for me, this is sort of the most makes sense because it crosses a number of years and 
in time span, estranged siblings and sometimes people who are estranged from parents just because you know that covers a significant amount of time. If, if you had, let's say, a good relationship with a sibling until you were 10, and then you didn't have a relationship with a sibling until you're 30, that's 20 years gap. Mm-hmm. If you re-engage with that person, whoever it might be from your family, let's say, after 20 years, if you insist on connecting with them the way you did when you were 10 and say they were 8, or you were 10 and they were 12, mm-hmm. now you're 30 and they're 28 or 32, if you insist on engaging the same way you left it 20 years ago, you're not going to have a deep and fulfilling relationship. A, mm. that person is going to resist your efforts mm. to make them be with you the way they used to be. Yeah. And B, it's just practically not going to work out because you're also a different person. Mm. Mm. And so like you, you see this in like really bad sort of scripts, sort of just mm. automatically running scripts within families where, where the interaction is bad. They're living out interact ways of interacting scripts that condition their interacting from years ago like yes. when they were teenagers yep. but now they're you know in their mid-30s and you think why is this interaction so unhealthy oh because <laughs> like the brother still acts to the sister as if she's got cooties and can't <laughs> behave with her in an adult way and is trying to re- run that script but it's just not gaining traction mm-hmm. and what will happen is those people like either i will try and do you know Person A tries to do that to person B, and person B eventually is sick of it and books out, and then you don't have a good relationship or a relationship at all. Or the two will just keep trying to do it and battle to get into a deeper relationship because their real selves and who they are now is not showing up. They're speaking from a different self. And when we do that with God, by insisting God can only be the way I read the Bible, that's the only way you can be, I think sometimes we'll often experience the same thing. God will go, well, that's not who I am. And so I'm going to just step back or step away or leave until you're ready to let me be me. Mm. Or perhaps God sticks it through and you stick it through, but the real selves are not kind of there, not showing up. And so you can't have real deep relationship based on that level of interaction where the one side is insisting that the other side is still who they were. 20 years mm. ago, or, mm. you know, in this case, well, you must be the way you were with Abraham, or you must be this, and, and people will say, oh, but God is the same yesterday, today, and mm. forever. Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> in the same way that God didn't repeat God's self to Abraham, to Moses, to Paul, in exactly mm. the same ways. There's differences and nuances that come up, things that are said to one and not said to another, you know, challenges and ways of living, etc., etc. This there's different things that happen there. And so you cannot use the Bible to say, God, well, you must be this way. I don't think it's going to, it's not going to result in a real deep relationship. And so if I come back to my first point, mm. I think it's often a very healthy thing mm. to be able to set and really close the Bible and set it aside mm. and go, okay, so what if I can build this relationship on the idea that you are there and I am here and we can relate to each other? Mm. And I've been through that, and it was a deeply unsettling time. And I return to it sometimes when I realize my my desire to control the relationship with God is back through whatever insecurity and is taking over to the point at which I'm going to use the Bible again to tell God who God is. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I have to go through that again and set it aside. And so I've had patches where I haven't read the Bible for a year or so. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I felt that that's been somewhat unhelpful, and sometimes I feel like it's 
been unhelpful, but it's actually been bang on. It's it's been what's been necessary. Mm-hmm. And you you just well in Brian McLaren's words, you you make the road by walking. It's like you've actually got to get on with that relationally and slowly figure it out better and better. Mm-hmm. And there are practices and ways of relating that build over time and can support better and healthier ways of doing it. And so it's not all stumbling about in the dark, but you do have to do it. <laughs> And, and you do have to discover relationally as you go along. And mm. so, yeah, I, perhaps as a listener, that you, you will need to do that for yourself. Or perhaps you're in that space and wondering, like, should I be doing this? Should I be stepping away? Perhaps you are culminating the end of that cycle and returning to the Bible. And you might be surprised by what you read and how you read it. And perhaps... Mm. You know, you might be willing to try embracing more of the relational spirituality approach. I don't know. I mean, I'd love, I'd love to hear all those experiences myself mm. from people. But uh, yeah, I do see that as, as quite a vital point as I think about what you were what you were mm. saying just now. Yeah, I, I think in a way that that brings us full circle because in some ways, when people mm. are asking what do you make of the Bible, it's often in the context of of the, they're hearing either that that the Bible doesn't seem to be as important to you and me as it is to them, or yeah. they're hearing that the language of experience seems to be much more important than they've been comfortable with or, yeah. or, or they understand from their context. So in that sense, any language of setting aside the Bible is taken to the extreme as a complete rejection of the Bible, Jesus, and God. Yeah. And any, any language of prioritizing the experience of God is likewise taken as a complete rejection of the Bible, Jesus and God. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's, that's very un, unhealthy. It's almost like the faith equivalent of catastrophizing someone's insecurity. You're insecure about me, therefore that means complete rejection. <laughs> you know, um, and there's, there's, there's got to be healthier ways around it. And I think those ways involve actually listening to what someone else makes of it. Because, you know, for me, is it important that people take the Bible seriously? Yeah, less, much less important than whether they're open to actually experiencing God. And I know a lot more people that take the Bible as though it's all important, but are close to experiencing God, than I know mm. people that, are, that, that, that don't consider the Bible important at all, and yet God evidently is with them and speaking through them. To the same extent, if not more, as people that claim to be Christian and hold on to the Bible. And that's just from observing in the in the background sense, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. Um, mm. I, I, yeah, I can feel someone's going to kick yeah. me for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we run the risk of with this conversation because it's exceptionally difficult to 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 sum up where 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 it speaks to all of the intricacies of it you know like like you said earlier like i brought some scope to to things but i didn't feel as much as i was doing a great job so much as just also touching on one other point on the continuum you know like it's it's very hard to to accurately depict the entire continuum of what's going on um uh, mm within the different approaches, you know, and, and, and our experience. Because somebody said, is the Bible important to you? I'd say absolutely. But is experience more important? Yes. Okay, mm. so the Bible comes second. Well, sometimes the Bible is very important in my experience, so it's well tied up there. Oh, mm. so then the Bible is primary for you. No, 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 I could do without the Bible. Mm. Oh, but you just said, like, the Bible's really important. Yeah, sometimes. 
and yep. other times it's not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's very difficult to just make those simple statements because it's not simple. Hmm. It's not simple, and and I think yeah, and I think the kickbacks that you're talking about there hmm. comes from a far simpler view. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that dualistic in or out, yes or no, right or wrong. And, and sometimes, well, yeah, it is right, it is wrong. Yeah, sometimes both. Sometimes how do we distinguish mm. from which? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm certain that there are plenty of kickings available for anyone who would wish to take a pot shot out of what we've said, but I'm also hoping that there's enough as a starting point in how we would look and read the Bible that mm. for those who, who hear that and go, oh, that sounds interesting. It would either be helpful or it would stimulate a you know, call or a whatever, a video call, chat, mm. catch up to, to talk some more about the experience um, mm. and their experiences and their questions and their wonderings and, and, and what, they're, what they're going through. It's, it's just, you know, I I think this may be it. I think allowing the question, and that's probably why we're kicking against it, allowing the question to, to give the boundary to the discussion, what do you make of the Bible as if it's a simple mm. thing, leaves me with this deep dissatisfaction. Mm. Like, well, I can't give a simple answer to that, so I feel like it's a bit of a failure. But it's not. It's, we're just trying to lend scope piece by piece mm. to the fact that it is, uh, it's not that easy to just pop down in a couple of simple words. If I had to put it simply, I'd say yes, experience over the Bible. If I had to choose, and again, you know, like it's a false equivalency. Mm. So if you say, either we like we, we burn the Bibles, or you and and uh, you only get experience, or you get the Bibles and you don't get experience. I go, okay, well, let's burn all the Bibles and I'll stick with experience. Thank you. Mm. Mm. But I don't want to say that wholeheartedly because I don't want to burn all the Bibles. But I think that's often how it's presented, right? Like the and, question is, and if okay, I just but quote... you'd rather burn all the Bibles, wouldn't you? Exactly. I was just no, thinking, I'm, I'm picturing I'm of saying. that as a quote on a T-shirt for you, Steve. <laughs> yes. Steve wants to burn the Bibles. <laughs> but, but I think that's what's frustrating about the conversation is because mm. to some extent I allow that question, which mm. is an either-or statement, sort of it's, it's either-or question, to condition how I engage with it. And actually, I just need to reject that and go, okay, this is not a question of, do I choose to only experience God and burn the Bibles? Mm. Or if I don't burn the Bibles, then I don't get to experience God, I only go with the Bibles. Actually, I don't, I'm just going to reject that outright and go, it's not that, it's far more difficult than that. Mm. And yes, experience comes first for me. Uh, and that's a mm. simple statement, which is very, very complex. And I'll just leave it at that. I, I, I like that. <laughs>